We've got this truism in, in our society. It says, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well. I say, oh, yeah, okay. That's actually a stopper because everyone's waiting to be very perfect before they do anything. So the new saying yeah. is, if, it's, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Welcome to The Toxic Fox Show, a podcast for conscious business owners that give a damn. And I'm Diana Barnett, your host. The show is kindly made possible by sevencanaries.com.au, another business that gives a damn about health, sustainability, transparency, and specifically no nasties in products. Today's guest is Malcolm Rands, the co-founder of EcoStore and the author of the book EcoMan. EcoStore is a New Zealand company that offers a range of eco-friendly household cleaning products and body care products. They're widely available in Australia and internationally in supermarkets and health stores. I'm so excited about getting Malcolm on the show as he has been an eco-warrior for many years and is a business owner that really does give a damn about the health and well-being of people and the planet. Issues very close to my heart. So that's enough from me. Let's head over to the interview. Before we um, hop into it, I'd like to ask you some questions just to give us a bit of background and understanding about who you are and some knowledge inside there. First of all, I'd like to know where you were born. I was born in Lower Hutt, which is a suburb of Wellington, New Zealand. And you spent most of your childhood there? I was, um, my parents were always quite radical and they didn't want me born in a hospital. So it was a small little maternal maternity home. So mum and dad could be there, even though that was back in 1954, that was quite unusual. But then I, I grew up in Wellington, yes, until I was um, 15 years old. Uh, and then? And then we moved to the big smoke of Auckland and I had my teenage years there. So can you tell me when your, what your first job was and how old you were? Well, I mean, if you're talking about my first job, my my, my um, parents were very old-fashioned, and when I wanted a bicycle when I was seven years old, they said, sure, you can have one. You have to go out and earn the money for it, though. And so my first job was when I was seven. Dad and I built this little cart with wheels on it, and I did a paper round for um, six months and saved up for my first bicycle. And I've been working ever since, basically. That's, that's a great story. And do you find that most entrepreneurs have the same sort of story or do you find a mix of people who come to work become entrepreneurs later in life? You know, I, I've always thought that I was, I've done lots of different jobs in my life, lots and lots, and I've always thought I was sort of drifting around. But when I look back, I've, I've always done some sort of work or other, even if it's for myself. Um, so I, I think the habits were set up pretty well in childhood, yes. Who was the strongest influence in your life and why? Um, it's got to be my mother and father because they were quite kooky is probably a nice word, actually. <laughs> like my, my father was a very, um, on one side, he was a sort of conservative engineer, but on his home side, like he was doing yoga and and fasting, like, in the late 50s, like even before the, the hippies discovered it, he was way ahead. And my mother was a much larger-than-life woman too. She was doing Tai Chi in, in the 70s. In fact, I've got this wonderful picture. They were some of the first people who got into China, and there's a picture of my mother in a square in China doing Tai Chi with all the Chinese people, but she was almost six foot tall, so she was about twice the size of anyone else <laughs> in the whole square. That, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so they, so they made... 
me think that anything is possible. And and you know, Mum's number plate on her on her car was why not? Why not? Oh, I love it. Do you still have a, the number plate or? Um, my 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 nephew, um, my sister's um boy was very clever there. He he bags at first. Oh, that is clever. I love it. <laughs> so he's got it. So it's still in the family, yes. Yeah. And would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert? Well, it's funny. I I would have if I if you asked me that in my childhood and even my early twenties, I would have said I was an introvert because I started out being very very shy. But I don't know what happened. Um, but I'm the opposite now. I'm definitely an extrovert now, and I uh, I'm completely unshy. I'm comfortable in any social situation at all. So, how could you give advice to someone who felt like a shy person now? to move into being an extrovert? Well, one of the things you've got to do is, um, I've learned, is um, <clears throat> you've just got to start doing things. You know, like you, you can't wait for something to happen for the right moment. And and even if you're not ready, what? Um, just get out there and do it. So therefore, if you're, if you're shy, just push yourself to, to do some public speaking. The one that really amazed me this was I was... Um, Probably my first real job, besides the paper round, was I was um, I played in a rock and roll band. It was actually a glam rock band in the early seventies. I did it professionally, mm-hmm. and and I'd be very shy, but I'd get up on stage and I'd be completely unshy. So it was a bit of a I couldn't really understand that at all. But I suppose I was being a persona on stage. But um, so my advice to people is just get out there and try things. Get, push yourself out of your comfort zone. What I've seen your TED talk. And you talk about your philosophy on business. Can you expand a bit more about that? Okay. Well, I mean, I, I won't give the whole 40-minute um, TED talk. But, no, no, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which it does kind of need in a way. But I, to cut to the point is at one stage in my life after a bit of a crisis, I just – and I've been working for not-for-profits. I just needed to discover a completely new way of how not-for-profits and businesses could work together. And that's when I came up. Um, 21 years ago, um, in 93, with a, a, um, a mind map, um, which I'm still using today. The very powerful things, good mind maps. And it's all about a business that has attached to it at arm's length and not for profit. And mm-hmm. you do that right from the very beginning, even though you mightn't be making any money. You just assume that, yes, you are going to be successful. Yes, you are going to generate enough um wealth um, that there'll be extra and that extra you'll be giving to a not-for-profit and you just have it sitting at your shoulder right from the beginning and and the um and if you can visualize where you'd like your money to go in the future it can actually help you stay on track with your business so when you're getting all these sort of hard business calls and looking for compromises if you've got this really noble organization that you want to gift money to in the future sitting on your shoulder saying oh is that is that the right thing to do you know um it's been very helpful for me over the years so picking up on that so you advocate starting a a not-for-profit organization yourself yes every business could have one everyone business could think well you know i i i wanted to give back to society i'm I'm a business person i'm 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 a creative i'm an entrepreneur and, and we're quite rare and, and I want to be able to share this gift I've got. So one day I'm going to be giving back to the community. What will that look out like? And think of that right up front. So you see that business 
can be ethical and have integrity? Oh, definitely. In fact, at the moment, business is actually um, the only hope for the planet, really, because um, I've given up on government, I'll tell you that. (laughs) 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 It's it's just so flawed because, I mean, in the end, it's got to be populist because in the short three-year cycle and they don't – and the leadership – doesn't seem to be the thing to do anymore. Taking the brave stands, no one's doing it. Everyone's looking at the polls, and you know, and not enough people out there at present um, are urgent enough for global change, for example, and all sorts of issues. That um, I think it's up. Businesses are businesses are looking the future. So if we look at that, and we look at your eco store, taking that a business, how, why? What is the why behind eco store? Why did you start it? And how did you start it? I spent a whole year on the mind map, which ended up the business side was EcoStore. And the reason I did that is that I'd been living um, already for eight years in New Zealand's first permaculture eco-village in, in, the, in the tropical north of New Zealand. And as a group, we had actually challenged ourselves to that the water flowing out of our property was just as pure as the water coming in. And the water coming in was coming from a reserve, so it was beautiful water. Mm-hmm. And we thought we were pretty hot stuff, actually, because we are organic farmers. But back then, we suddenly, seemingly looking at all the water, we had to start looking at the water coming out of our houses. And so right back in 86, when not many organic farmers had looked at it, we suddenly started thinking, oh, my God, what's in our laundry? What's in our dish? What's in our shampoos? And we were shocked to find more toxic chemicals inside our beautiful home. So we'd started looking at alternatives. So then for eight years later, when I started up a business, I thought, well, I know this stuff, you know. I know how important it is. If we know about it, and I've got some knowledge here, maybe the rest of New Zealand and the world will want to know about this. So I started up mail order only because I could still live in my little home way out in the countryside and service the whole of New Zealand. So that's how we started. And did you make the products from scratch or did you outsource the uh, making of the product. You know what? You know what the amazing thing is, is that um, we're we're really there's so much information in the world, so much out there that yep, we're yep. blinded by it all. But if you can sort of narrow your ideals and what you're looking for, really narrow it wide, and you really know what you want. And not many people do know what they want in life. <laughs> but if you can be completely focused on what you want, suddenly things start popping up. And once I knew exactly what I wanted, and I started looking around, there was this a little family making a nice pet soap up north, and there was this another little small company in, in, down in, in an old milk factory making some dishwashing liquid. And, and, and I actually just drew all the small little artisan people together who are doing bits and bobs and put them all together in one catalogue. And how did you manage making sure that there was the product was um, had some sort of quality and didn't have ingredients in it that you didn't want and were sustainable? Right from the beginning, um, you know, one of our, our campaign has been no nasty chemicals, and, and that's not a promise. It's more of a campaign that we, we just want to make people aware of all the toxic chemicals that are inside their households, particularly affecting their health. So my job has always been saying, I do not want these certain chemicals in our range. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I just had to take on trust initially that people were not putting them in. Because I, I was completely clear you're not allowed to use sodium lauryl sulfate, you're not allowed to use Cat B, all these ones, even though they're plant based, a lot of these, you weren't allowed to use them. In the end, 
I did have to bring on my own formulator and finally our own factory because unfortunately people did start letting me down, you know. I find some people hadn't been truthful for me. So that's why in the end we now, everything we've formulated ourselves and now we even have our own factory just so that we can be 100% sure that the quality is there. I suppose that would have happened as well as your as you needed uh, larger quantities made as and trying to keep up with manufacturing at that level as well. That's correct, yeah. That is correct, yeah. Is everything these days made in New Zealand? Yes, everything's made in New Zealand. Um, we have looked at making some of our range in Australia, but at present we can't find a, a factory that has um, got the same um, carbon neutral <coughs> certificates that we've got in New Zealand. New Zealand, we're very blessed. It's got the most um, lowest carbon electricity in the world because of all our hydro, and, and, sh- and shipping it over is actually the lowest carbon way to transport, much more than a truck, for example. So at the moment, it actually makes sense. But um, if we get to a certain size where it doesn't make sense, we'll definitely start making out some of our range in Australia as well. So as a conscious business, um, you come across different type things, and that's an example of where you have to make compromises um, to stay true to the value of the what you're trying to achieve, how do you go about that? You know, in, in the end, you, you know which is the right choice. You always do. You know, if, if, you, if you're sort of having to make excuses for things, you, you know, or, or justify things or rationalise it, you, you kind of know you're in, in troubled waters. So we are far from perfect, but we can put our hands on our hearts and say we don't know a better way to do it yet. But as soon as the better way comes along, boy, we're going to be the first people who jump on that ship. So this being such a large organisation, how do you stay nimble then to be able to do that? Well, you know, we you can call us a large organisation, but our um, three main competitors are $100 billion companies. Yes. <laughs> so we are still tiny. We're tiny, you know, you know, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Colgate Pomolov, these are monstrous companies. They're the ones who are nimble. We are no. clear, we are incredibly nimble compared to So them. how do you keep being nimble? Sorry to talk over the top of you. Um, the way we keep being nimble is um, it's, it's about the culture of your business and about everyone who works for you actually believing in, in the same dream, the same dream. And... Um, so therefore, they're actually, you know, people are coming to me with great ideas. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not necessarily the generator anymore, and and coming because we all know where we want to head, and so and it can be very empowering for people to do the right thing, to to do good in the world. It's it's so our, our new um, byline after EcoStore is um, a world of good, and that's what we that's where we want to live. We want to live in a world of good. How do you? Um- inculcate the culture and make sure that everyone is understands what the culture is about, understands the objectives? Well, there's the classic things like uh, when people arrive, you, you do a, um, you take them through the whole, so anyone who starts at EcoStore, they um, they spend time with all, all in the main areas, they go out to our factory and spend time out there. I, I give them a personal talk about our history and and with videos and, and history. So that's that's classic stuff. But the real thing, and if we're talking to other entrepreneurs here, is it's got to be by example. Mm-hmm. Because people, even if they don't think they do, they kind of want to copy the boss. Right. <laughs> 
And so you need to set the example completely because people will want to be like the boss. And if you're an entrepreneur, you are the boss, even though we don't think we are. We'd like to be more us new agey types want to be more flat, you know, flat. And we are. We have a very flat um, team structure, but still people look to the leader to see what they're doing. And so, you know, if, if I'm not recycling in my office, if I'm throwing bloody, um, my apple cores in the rubbish instead of in the compost, you know, it's people are going to say, uh-uh, you know, there's something funny here. Yeah, yeah. So it's – do you um, have a – uh, mission statement written up and you go through that or yeah well our mission statement is all around and it's been the same for 21 years because when I started um, you know back in 93 everyone thought I was crazy it's doing plant based dishwashing I mean, why the hell would you want that when you can get it for a dollar ninety nine in the supermarket you know yeah the chemical stuff and it works perfectly well but <clears throat> what the problem then was Back then, believe it was pollution. Do you remember pollution? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it wasn't. But now, of course, it's global warming, which I guess is just really CO2 pollution. But but, but there's the same problem. People said, well, what can I do? Because everyone wants to make a difference, you know, but I can't do anything. If I try to do it, it's too expensive. It doesn't work. It's kind of like wearing a hair shirt. I'm just not going to bother. That's that's the biggest problem we've got. And so our mission statement, it's on the wall of a head office, is we want to make it easy and pleasurable for you to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And if it's easy and it's pleasurable, people will change. And you, f- you find that that's easy for people to, everyone within the organisation follows? Yes, well, it's, it's, it's not something that we, we tell our customers. It's something for us because, you know, when, when we get a problem, we say, well, is that going to be easy for someone? You know, and this is even dealing with our suppliers or, or people who advertise with, you know, we want... Every time you touch EcoStore, it's going to be easy to deal with us and it's going to be pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And is part of that pleasurable um, using the actual – does that go into how the, if the brand is – I mean, going black and white with the branding and things like that. That's Is that all taken into account with the pleasurable right through there? Yeah, 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 because what – I mean, the reason that the brand is a good idea, we didn't need any branding for the first um, – seven or eight years because it was all done through um, a catalogue or just one store. But once we hit the supermarkets, I actually came into the um, – I hadn't been down the cleaner aisle for over 10 years because why would I? Yes. And I walked down that aisle and I went, oh, it was just like, where's my sunglasses, you know? Lurid, fluoro colours, everyone's shouting down there. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, we did what you'd think. We did all those beautiful colour nature shots, but they were invisible. And then – um, my partner Melanie and an arts photographer who'd been working on our catalogue said, "Let's let's go that let's go opposite way. You know, why don't we give people a peaceful experience in that loud, last place? So that's why we went black and white, timeless photographs by artists. They're, they're not just um, any old people. The people who take our photographs, the only other place you'd find their work would be in an art gallery. Yep. And um, and the same with our um, the squiggles that we have on our our Body products. That's by one of New Zealand's top international artists. Um, and so, you know, let's give people a bit of peace and quiet in this busy, crazy world. And that's why we went for muted colours where we got them and black and white images. So, take that squiggle. What's that representing? Well, um, 
John Reynolds, he was actually, for example, just four years ago, he was the lead artist at the Sydney Biennial. So, I mean, he's, he's a well-known international. It's just we just give him the brief and it's just um, <clears throat> it's his art, you know. You, you don't want to interpret it. It's just it's his art. Okay. I, I just, I've often looked at it and wondered if it had what significance it had. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to accept it's just art, but yeah, yeah, I was yeah. just curious to know if it had any more. Yeah, I know. Yeah, people want to make something out of it, but it's just, it's just come straight from some place that probably even he doesn't realise where it comes from. You're listening to The Toxic Fox Show, and I'm having a conversation with Malcolm Rands, a co-founder of EcoStore. take you back to something that out of the book I've read your book Malcolm you know, the eco yep. man from garage in Northland to a pioneering global brand yep. um, a couple of things that jumped out at me in that is the fact you use palm oil yep can you explain what your decision is behind using palm oil and do you use this same decision making process for other ingredients you use in your products? Sure. Um, well, palm oil has been around and, and traded and supported communities around the planet for hundreds of years. It's, uh, it's a very, very sustainable crop. What happened is some people went nuts, particularly around the um, biofuel booms in the late 90s and the early noughties, mm-hmm. and they just went crazy with it, right? So palm oil itself is, is a beautiful, beautiful crop. If it's done properly, there's no better crop on the planet for making vegetable oil. It's the most efficient, the smallest amount of land, less damage to the land. Um, like if you people change to coconut oil to sort of get away from that, the scarring that palm oil does to brands, coconut oil takes eight times as much land. So if everyone jumped to coconut oil, you'd have to chop down eight times as much jungle just to get back to where you started from. Mm-hmm. So, so it's the most efficient um, oil there is. And we've been using palm oil right from, you know, from the early 90s because it was the um, best plant oil to use. It's only in the last five years that it's become a bad thing. And and I understand why it's a bad thing. What's happened in Indonesia is just disgusting. You know, it's, it's the most horrible thing and, and it appalls us and, and we don't want to have anything to do with that. And to motivate people, you've got to make it a very emotional black and white issue. So suddenly all palm oil is evil. Yep. It's not at all, you know. Like, I mean, it's a food. It's come from Africa. It's been used, as I said, for centuries. We just came back from Papua New Guinea um, where um, we're getting the palm oil for our soap. Um, they've, where in Papua New Guinea? I was born there. Uh, New Britain. New Western Britain. Britain. Western <laughs> Britain. Tempe Bay. Tempe Bay okay. in Western Britain. And... Yep. Um, and, you know, they started planting that in 67, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's never been any orangutans there. Um, and if you look what's happened there, it's, it's just blissful, you know. They, um, they, The government have settled more people there because it's going well. Um, a lot of the – it's the indigenous um, people who've been all the time um, uh, are doing little family plots. Um, the company um, – it's so advanced now that they're putting their money into doing things, social things for the people there, like they're, they're getting into um, putting committees together to look into domestic violence and things like that. This mm-hmm. is the company, Palm Oil Company. It's got one of the most pristine 
coral reefs in the world off it because the people have been well off for ages and so forth. They haven't had to rape the, the sea. And so they've got, the, they got this beautiful um, coral reef right there, still full of fish. So, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's palm oil. Right. So how do I, as a consumer, look at a product and know that it's coming from a sustainable... Well, what you do is you... You, if you're if you're interested in it, you need to do a bit of research, and you'd have to go online and go to the company involved, uh, to their website, and see what they say, and see you know. And if it's a once over statement saying, "Oh, we're wonderful, we're doing the right things," but there's no proof of it, be suspicious. But if there's a lot of detail, if it's obviously well thought out, if they can show where it's coming from, then there's nothing wrong with it at all. In fact, it's the best thing you can do. So my question is that if you're a, um, if a conscious business and you're trying to start out, what sort of criteria and how can you start about um, go about researching and sourcing ingredients that are and going through all this greenwashing that's happening, i.e. with the palm oil? Well, basically, you've just got to um, question your supply chain. Just don't take any answers for granted look for proof mm-hmm. always look for proof because everything everything's written down somewhere every, every, you know you can actually ask anyone to take you right back to where they've got things from you, you can demand that because you see if, if we're talking to um, entrepreneurs here they know that the most important person in the world to them is their customers they'll do anything they want to do the right thing for their customers that's what a successful business is about Your supply chains, you are the customer. So the people supplying you will do anything to keep your business because now the world is coming so flat, there's not a lot of difference between one supplier and another. So you can be quite demanding of your suppliers for them to open up their supply chain to you or say, oh, I'll go somewhere else. So we actually, this is where you have the most power in your life is with the people who are selling to you. Because yep. you can be demanding and obnoxious and stroppy with those people and they'll fall over backwards to look after you because you are their customer. Mm-hmm. Just like you will look after your own customers, they will look after you. Right. Good advice. Um, something else that came out of your book that I found interesting and would, would like to explore a tiny bit more with you is you started off with a huge product range. How and when did you then reduce your product range and how did you decide what you're going to reduce it to? Well, there's two questions I can answer here. You haven't asked the other questions. And the other question is, what's the hardest thing for an entrepreneur starting up? And the hardest thing is that uh, you've got no capital and you've got no highly qualified, experienced people to work, work next to you because they're too expensive. Okay. Yes. So how I resolved that is I sold half my company to a couple of brothers. One was a marketeer. The other was a um, accountancy background, uh, finance background, and they had money to bring in. Okay. Mm-hmm. When they came in, they had a look at my business with outside eyes. Yep. And they and they said to me, Malcolm, you got too much stuff. Because <laughs> at that time, I had thought of Eco Store as an online supermarket of everything green. Yep. I even had, I even had my own home. Um, building supplies. I had a, 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 a wool um, insulation bat. I had um, EcoStore own paint. <laughs> it, was, it was nuts. Eh? I just had so much stuff. 
And they said to me, okay, what are you the best at? What are you the best at in the whole world of all these things, you know? What can you say, you know, come to me, I am the expert. Yep. And I wasn't I wasn't the expert in the paint. I wasn't, you know. I and in the end I was really expert in household cleaning and in body products. That's mm-hmm. where I was really up against it. I mean, I was also quite good at um, pet products and organic garden products, but they are very problematic, so much harder. It's really funny because you know, you can put any sort of toxic chemical on a human, no one cares. But as soon as you put it on a plant or an animal, you've got all these government agencies all over you like a rash. So it's quite bizarre. Yeah, well, I've never thought about it like that. It's true. There's all these regulations for for agriculture and animals, but not for humans. Incredible. So that's how you decided to move into... What am I best at? What am I an expert at? You know, what do I have knowledge that no one else has got? Then was it hard to let go? No, I I knew they were right. Did you just then phase it out, or did you just cut it straight off? Or we had a um, we've got we've still got one store and one online business in New Zealand, and we've still got quite a few of those products sitting there, right, in a physical store. But um, but they're not we're not wholesaling any of those. And they're under the Eco Store. No, they're not even. They're not under. It's just we've chosen the best we can find and had them in that store. Okay, so that's your lifestyle, whole of lifestyle store, that's addressing right. the needs to yes. anyone. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but but we're not we're not the experts, so therefore we'll find someone else who is and and choose the best, but only one of each. Well, we'll say we think that one's the best. So you don't go in here and have five different brands competing. We we make the choice which is the best one. Okay. So you said that you sold half your business. At yep. what point were you when you sold half your business? How far into the business were you? A couple of years? Oh no, about seven, seven, seven years. Right. Okay. And I just was, I just was going treading water because I just didn't have the capital to go to the next stage. Okay, so it was capital. And I didn't have anyone to work next to me of my caliber. You know, I, was, I had all these lovely young ecology graduates out of out of university who couldn't get a, a real job so they were working for me you know sort of on, on the shop floor sort of thing but I had no experienced business people around me at all and it was holding me back and you realized that or it was because of the capital that made you realize no, that? I, I realized that. no I I've, I've always done a, a lot of research into business and on all sorts of business and, and I knew I knew where I was at I think it's a, a very important for re- people to realise that that half the pie is better th- of a big pie is better than. That's right. Do you want a small part of a huge business or all of a tiny business? Yeah, yeah. I think it's and it's if that's I think it's very important. It I, I've asked um, a couple of friends to ask um, who are business owners for a couple of questions that they would want to ask you. And one of them is Anka Gregorius, and she's the founder of Meta Skin Care here in Australia, and she's um, it's handmade organic skincare. And one of her questions she had for you is, what is one thing you know about business now that you wish you knew when you first started? Um, <clears throat> it's a very oh well well one thing, and, and it's not necessarily about business; it's about my whole life. But I um I would have been a bit good in business, although I don't know how I would have fit it in, was actually um, spending more time with the team. Right. Because I was the one way out in front, you know, 
breaking yeah. all these new boundaries and charging around here, then never. But I wasn't spending time making sure the team around me were on board with me. I just thought that they'd pick it up by osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I would have done was actually spend much more time with my team to make sure, <clears throat> which I can do now, we're a big organization, to make sure the culture was there and they were all firing and I was looking after them. That's what I regret from my early days. I didn't do that very well. And the other question she asked was, how can conscious businesses these days more effectively educate the, better and more effectively educate the public against greenwashing? Um, it's 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 just the the advantage that ethical businesses have got is that we can be completely open and transparent about everything we do, and we should be because our competitors can't do that. So the more more information we give, the more we say exactly what we're doing. It, they can't they can't do that because they are hiding stuff. So it's it's actually your transparency and your authenticity which will overcome the greenwash. So how do you at EcoStore do that? Well, if you ever go to our website, you'll see that it's with our ingredients. We we just go right down to incredible detail on every ingredient we use, right through to because um, one of our our biggest mission at EcoStore and the reason we don't even use half the um, plant-based chemicals that we could use is that we are paranoid about what chemicals end up on people's skin for the mm-hmm. particularly upsetting the endocrine system and or the um, so the hormones or chemicals that will give you allergies. And so um, we, for every ingredient, we um, go to third-party um, sources and show all the scores those ingredients will get. Mm-hmm. For different allergies and and so so we we actually show all our research online. You know all the stuff we've spent years doing finding out. We've just published it online. And does do you have any um, copycats out there because of it? Oh, we love copycats. We love Why? them. Oh, because it shows we're changing the world. Okay. Yeah. And, and and all they're doing is they're copying what we did three or four years ago. They don't know what we're doing now. Yeah. 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 I get that. And um, better to grow the community. It is, it is. I've heard someone the other day said to me, oh, I'm, I'm doing this organic bloody shampoo. Malcolm, you're not going to do one, are you? A certified organic shampoo. And I said, um, yes, we will. And take it as good news because you don't want to be the only one doing something. You want to be part of an industry. So if there's actually five different organic shampoos in the supermarket, that's great news because suddenly – it's, it's a whole category. It's not this one weirdo on the side. It's yeah. your mainstream. But you need other people to do to, to be in your competitors for that to happen. Yeah. Well, the hence when you go shopping in different places and you'll find a whole street, a whole precinct with people selling the same sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And people go there, yeah. That's right. What's one bit of advice you'd give to the listeners? I, I, the advice I've got is that we can be as healthy today as we've ever been. Don't freak out. You've only got to do a few simple things. One, <clears throat> get toxic chemicals out of your life, and that's all possible now. Um, two, make sure you're drinking filtered water because you don't want chlorine in your gut because it kills all your good gut bacteria which so you don't digest food properly. Three, eat good food, fresh as possible. Grow it yourself if you possibly can. And number four is you guys are stressing too much. Just chill out. <laughs> <laughs> it's really unhealthy. It's really, 
it really unhealthy to be stressed all the time. So people just get to some sort of practices of breathing or yogas or walking in nature, anything like that. You've got to do it. Do not, do not ignore it. At so, your peril. At your peril. So on that note, what do you do to de-stress while in the show? Well, I've I've got the wonderful situation now that um, <clears throat> when I'm in New Zealand and not in Australia, although I spend a lot of time here as well, I only spend four days in Auckland and then on Thursday night we jump in the Prius and drive back to our eco-village where we come from and I spend Friday working in my office there and I can just walk out in nature every 15 minutes if I want to and then Saturday and Sunday I go back to being a peasant farmer, which is just the most brilliant thing you could possibly be. And that's your secret to de-stressing for you? It is indeed. Yeah. Gardening is brilliant. Gardening's brilliant. Well, thank you. Lovely. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks, Diane. Well, I'm so pleased to have had the opportunity to have had this chat with Malcolm Rands, the co-founder of the EcoStore, a conscious business. And through his generosity, I have learned a lot. However, I'll concentrate on my three top learnings for this episode, the first episode of The Toxic Fox Show. Learning number one, love copycats. Copycats show you, you are changing the world and creating an industry. Learning number two, there's never a perfect time to start. Just do it, do it now and don't wait. Learning number three, narrow your ideas, ideals and really focus. Once you really know what you want, you'll be surprised by the opportunities that turn up. Well, they are my top three learnings. I'd love to hear what yours are. Please head over to thetoxicfoxshow.com and look for episode number one. Leave a comment in the show notes and hit us up on Instagram or Twitter using the the handle at thetoxicfoxshow. Use the hashtag IGiveADamn. There's plenty coming up over the next few weeks as I interview awesome conscious business owners. In episode number two, I'll be speaking with Therese Kerr, one of the co-founders of The Divine Company and an ACO ambassador. That's the Australian Certified Organic Organisation. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast, either using iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and download the podcast next week. A big thank you for Seven Canaries for making this possible and another thank you to Vince Jones for the use of his song Old Mother Earth Knows. Finally, thanks to the team for helping me pull this together. And until next week, may your business continue to be a business that gives a damn.